So let's, let's read from verse 1 of chapter 5 through verse 15, though we're really only going to look at verses 13 and 14. It's good for us to get some context. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. What hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will be bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross would be removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And Father, we pray that you would help us to understand how we are to live out this command to serve one another. And we thank you, Lord, above all things that, that you've sent Jesus and we can look at Jesus and see what it means to be a servant, what it means to be practically committed to another's good. Father, I pray that you would help us to be willing to apply this. I pray you'd help, uh, help, help us to, to, to take from this your word and grow. Please, Lord, we pray. We trust you to do by your Holy Spirit what only you can do for us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says... So we're called Servants Church for a reason. I don't know if you've ever noticed before. I know sometimes people forget this. But the apostrophe is before the S, which shows possession. So there's someone who's the servant who possesses the church. The church belongs to this person. And of course, if you've been here long enough, you know that who we're talking about as the Servants Church is Jesus. Jesus came... God the Son came as a servant, and the church belongs to him. It's not John's church. It's not the trustees' church. It's not the team's church. It's not even your church. It's servant's church. It's his. And we, we, we chose that name on purpose. One, because King's Church was already taken. I like that name, but it was already taken. We thought about calling it Jesus' church, but there's a whole group Called the, it used to be called the Jesus Army, and there's some things about them that have been seen as a little bit dodgy, so we thought maybe we shouldn't go with that name. And I, was, I remember thinking when praying about what the name ought to be, thinking, Lord, I want people to see this is your church, that they recognize that, that, that we belong to you. 
And the Lord reminded me that I just needed to serve because he was the servant. Bing! <laughs> Servants, church. It's his. And the reason this is important for us to recognize is that when we talk about serving one another, which is where we're going today, this is the one another command we're focusing on today. When we talk about serving one another, we are talking about, listen, following in the footsteps of the one who saved us. We're talking about acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, Jesus who is God's only begotten Son, practically, purposefully served. And in his service, he saved us. In fact, we can say really clearly that God serves us before we serve anybody else. And this understanding, this this recognition of, of, of knowing how we view service as that which we first received from Jesus affects greatly how we actually serve one another. And so what we're going to look at it from these two verses in Galatians 13, and then we're going to look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 as well. We're going to look at three important truths that should form how we view serving one another. So the first thing is this from Galatians. Here's what we're going to see from these two verses. We need to see service as freedom, not slavery. Notice he says in verse 13, you were called to freedom, my brothers. And you might have picked up a hint of what this is about in the verses previous that we read for context. That The book of Galatians, or the letter to the Galatians from Paul, is all about Paul wanting to combat People who are trying to say, okay, to be right with God, you need Jesus plus you need to be circumcised. You need to become a Jew so that you can become a Christian. This was the message. And Paul had such strong words for these people. He said in verse 12, these people who are unsettling, I wish they would cut themselves off or emasculate themselves. That's pretty harsh language. Because he knows that this is a false gospel. The gospel that says Jesus plus anything else is a false gospel. But what's also a false gospel is Jesus minus repentance. Jesus minus change. The person who claims to be a Jesus follower and says, I believe in Jesus and I'm going to stick that in my back pocket. It's my get out of hell for free card. That's also a false gospel. So if, if we're not saved by Jesus plus becoming a Jew, or we might even say in our context today, Jesus plus serving one another? If we're not saved that way, what is the command about? How does it work? How does it fit with this freedom that we have in Christ? Well, it starts with us recognizing, listen, that we we serve from a freedom as fully beloved children. This is the point of Galatians. In fact, we talk about freedom, Christian freedom, we're talking about two things. One, listen, we're talking about freedom from working for our right standing with God. If you've recognized that you cannot save yourself, you cannot make yourself right with God by your actions, you cannot earn a right relationship with God, if you've recognized that and you put yourself you put your faith in what Jesus has done for you, if you've recognized that, guess what? You have a standing that won't be taken away from you. It's yours. You have been adopted into God's family. 
This is the basis by which he adopts us. In fact, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation a couple verses back in Galatians 3. Listen, Paul writes, So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by keeping the law, for the Scripture says it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Faith. And it's not just that you believe, you really want something, so you're believing for it. It's the object of your faith that brings you life. So if you wrongly have faith in, okay, I'll believe in Jesus and I'll do whatever it is you think you have to do to have life, you're missing it. And you will never serve the way God wants you to serve. God calls us, listen, to, to, to be free from trying to earn a place with him. You know what would grieve me? It would grieve me to no ends if any of my kids felt like, I can't come to my dad unless I do these things to make sure my dad wants to help me. That would break my heart, and I'm an evil father. How much more does it break the heart of, uh, of our father God who sent his only begotten son so that he might declare us righteous, innocent? We have to know that we've got to serve from this position of fully beloved children. So it's, it's a freedom from working for a, a right standing with God, but also it's a freedom to, listen, to work from your identity in Christ. Now, I don't know if any of you grew up with a father or a, or, or a mother who had their own business and you helped them in their business. I don't know if you had that. If you, that might have gone pear-shaped for some of you, but I have to say, my dad always had small businesses. Bless him, he wasn't very good at small business, but still, he had these small businesses, and I used to work for my dad a lot, and I, I have to say, I loved doing that. I loved knowing that I had a privilege to be anywhere in the store that he managed. You know why? He's my dad. <laughs> my identity as his son gave me a privilege to do these things. In fact, it was actually, he couldn't have employed me because I was too young when I started working for him, you know, labor, child labor laws and all that. But I could work for him. You know why? I'm his, I'm his son. He's my dad. That identity gave me a freedom, and that identity gave me an opportunity, and that identity gave me a motivation to serve my dad in his business. It came from that identity. Now, none of my friends, as much as they liked my dad, none of my friends really wanted to work for my dad. They didn't, really, they didn't care. Why would I want to work for a, you know, however little pay we got paid? Why would I work for him? Well, I don't want that. But I wanted that. You know why? Not because I thought, i got to do this to earn my dad's love. One good thing about my dad, though, he wasn't a believer in Jesus. He was a really good dad. Never doubted his love for me. Never. But I wanted to be with my dad, and to be with my dad means being about the family business. And so what, he, what Jesus sets us free to, listen, he sets us free to work from our identity that we have in Christ. This gifted place that we have. Listen to this, Galatians chapter 3, again, from the New Living Translation. Paul writes, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, there's no plus there, right? All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. That is, your new identity. There is no longer Jew nor Gentile. That's not your identity. Slave or free. That's not your identity. Male or female. That's not your identity. For all are one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's not saying that any of those things, none of those things matter. Of course, Jew or Gentile still mattered. Slave or free still mattered. Male or female still mattered. But they weren't your primary identity. Your identity is a son or daughter 
of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we work from. This is what we serve from. Are you guys following me? Now, we serve as freedom, not slavery, freedom as fully beloved children, but also service, listen, as love practically expressed. We started this series with that kind of foundational command of loving one another. And love is practically expressed through service. Look again, verse 13. Paul says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The flesh is a way that, it doesn't just speak of your physical body. The flesh in the scripture speaks of your, your human nature, specifically your broken or sinful human nature. The part of us that says, I want to put my needs first. It is our flesh that causes us, the first thing we do when we wake up is think, what do I want? My coffee, my breakfast, you know, that's how we think. It's the flesh that means when there's a group photo, who's the first person you look for in the photo? You. We all do it. There's this tendency to put ourselves above others, to put ourselves first. That is part of our flesh. And because we're accepted in the beloved, because we are we have this relationship with God through Jesus, this identity as sons and daughters because of Jesus' finished work, because we have that position, the temptation for us is to go, oh, I don't have to work. I can just kind of do what I, whoever I want to do. And Paul says, no, no, no. You've been, remember, you've been made free to work from your identity in Christ. You still, God still has called you to this family responsibility of showing his love. In fact, through love, serve one another. I love this because seeing service as a love practically expressed is helpful. See, when we talk about love, we're talking about the love that God has always had for eternity, the love that he sheds upon us by his Holy Spirit when we're saved, the love that, that, that motivated him not only to create the world but to redeem the world through his son. That love, God's love, listen, it is always intentional and it's always sacrificially practical. Listen to this. 1 John, one of the, this is the beloved disciple writing in 1 John. Again, I'm, I'm quoting from the New Living Translation. John writes, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. I want you to turn to someone next to you and say, I want to give up my life for you. Do it. Say it. Now repent for lying because you just said it because I told you to. <laughs> He gets practical. Listen, listen, listen to John. Listen. L listen to the, the epistle John. Listen. He says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who are now being chased out of their homes in the Ukraine. Now, we haven't said from the front, here's what we think we should do as a church, because you know what? There's a lot there. And we want to be wise. We, want to, we don't want to encourage you guys to just chuck resources at the wind, because the need is going to be so great, we need to be the best stewards we can possibly be to help these people. 
But let's not doubt that if we say we love people, we need to express it practically. But also, listen, we want to see service, not as slavery, but as freedom, and we want to see service as love practically expressed, because that's what it is. But also, we need to see love and service through love. We need to see this as, listen, active obedience. Look at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from Leviticus there. And what he's saying here is this. It's really clear. He's saying, listen, the law, God's commands for his people. Not, here's a recipe for a better life. Here's a serving suggestion. Love one another. No, this is the authoritative creator of the universe saying, love is what I command. So when he commands us to love and serve as a practical expression of love, we do so in active obedience. We don't like that, do we? This provokes our flesh. No, 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 I don't want to obey someone else. All decide. In fact, here we cloak it sometimes in very religious language. Well, if the Lord leads me, then I'll do this. What part of the Bible don't you understand? When God says serve one another, it's a command. Now, I know it's hard for us to discern how we're supposed to do this. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. But let's not mince words. Let's be really straight about this. God loves us so much that he sent his son to, to pay for our sins and to make us able to become his sons and daughters. And when he adopts us in this family, he does so in a permanent way. And we, he does this so that he might change us, listen, and teach us to love one another. And so if we are refusing to be taught to love one another practically, to serve one another, if we're refusing that, do we dare even call ourselves Christians? Do we even know the freedom he's got for given for us, purchased for us? He's not saving you to make you a slave. He's saving you to set you free from the slavery of self. To give you the liberty of love. That's what he's saving us to. So we're going to get really practical towards the end. And so I'm preparing you now. We're going to get really practical. And some of you are going to get cynical when we get practical. You're going to, I, knew that was, I knew it was going to be about this stuff. I knew it. I know John. He's always trying to get practical. But before we get there, please listen. If you don't get this, if you don't get that service is a freedom and not a slavery, service is an honor to be about the family business, if you don't get this, please don't serve at Servants Church. Please just receive. Because what we need is to see God through what we do. Which brings us to our next text. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's page uh, 1,206. 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you're in Galatians, go towards the back of your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4. One Peter chapter 4. 
There's two things here we're going to see in this section. The first in verses 7 and 9 is we want to see how serving is for relationship, not reputation. This is important. 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse 7. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, there's a heavy statement. The end of all things is at hand. Sounds heavy, doesn't it? It is heavy. In fact, the whole book of 1 Peter is about how difficult it is to be a Christian. How suffering abounds everywhere. But I want you to understand the end of all things. I think it's important for us. There should be an image on the screen. See, we, we see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. After his earthly ministry, after his sacrificial death, uh, after his resurrection, after 40 days of appearing to the disciples, of, of preparing them for the church he would plant through them, after that he ascends into heaven. But he ascends with a promise to come back. And when Jesus comes back, the same Jesus who ascended is going to come back in the same way. Every eye will see him. Ain't going to be no mystical thing in the city of Brooklyn. It's not going to be like, you know, oh, he's over there. Or, oh, he's over there. No, no. We're, everyone's going to know. Believer and unbeliever is going to know when Jesus comes back. So the time between, between Jesus ascending to heaven and Jesus returning to earth, that time between is known as the last days. That whole time. Now, there's much more to talk about this kind of stuff that you, you can look up, uh, you can find our stuff on Revelation if you want some details. But the, the, the reality is this, listen, the last days are this in-between time. And it is a time, listen, where the first Jesus followers thought Jesus could come back at any minute. They didn't think, listen, they didn't think, okay, oh, Jesus is going to come back in probably about 2,000 years because that kind of fits with, you know, the timeline of creation and stuff. They didn't think that way. They thought to themselves, Jesus could come back any time. And you know what? They wanted to be ready. Because the end of all things, as dire as that sounds, is actually this. Listen, it's actually the end of all bad things. Amen. You're almost done running the race. The finish line is right there. And because the finish line is right there, that time when Jesus comes back with his reward. That's us, by the way. <laughs> when he comes back with his reward, listen, at the end of time, to, to, to judge the world, to get rid of all unrighteousness, to give those that are his their reward, to reign with us. When that happens, listen, we're going to finally have the world we all want. But until that happens, we need to be, as it says, Peter says really clearly here, self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. Because here's, here's the idea. Until that happens, all of us, every single one of us, are not going to want to serve. We're not. We're going to feel the flesh say, nah, you do what's best for you. You do you. We're not going to want to serve the way our servant serves us. You know how we deal with that? We pray. We say, Father, give us a fresh your Holy Spirit like we prayed last week. Father, we need your strength, your power. Father, remind us of Jesus that he's with us in our suffering and that he's first served us and he will empower us, empower us to serve one another. Father, do this for us by your Holy Spirit. Please, we need you. We're, we're, Lord, we, we, want, we want to have self-control. We know if we're going to seek you, we have to say, we're going to say yes to time with you. We're going to say no to something else, self-control. Lord, we, we want to be sober-minded. We want to be, oh, not want to be naive about how weak we can be. We want to be praying. 
Because listen, this is where service starts. Service starts with prayer. Service starts with us going before our God who loves us so much, going before him and being honest, saying, Father, thank you that you love me. I know you love these people at Servant Church, but I don't always love them. Sometimes they annoy me. Some of these people believe some weird things. And you know, you know how long it takes us to get our cup of coffee in the morning? I don't know. They could be a bit more efficient. And the kids' ministry, why are there so many kids at children's at, at servants' church? Do you have nothing else to do but to have babies? What is a deal? <laughs> and, and we can have all kinds of thoughts that we need to confess, not to each other, because they're not going to edify, but to, to the Lord to say, God, this is where we can be. Change us, because we want to serve one another as you first served us. We pray for this. Service that starts with prayer. Look at how practical it gets. Look at verse 8. He says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That you could be say without ceasing. We could translate that without ceasing. Since love covers a multitude of sins. So the service he calls us to is a service that demonstrates God's love. Listen, we're not serving others because they deserve it. I, I'll be honest, when I'm prepping uh, you know, during the week, I'm not thinking, Lord, I love these people. I want them to have the best. Lord, please, they deserve the best. No. <laughs> I just, I'll be honest, I don't always think that way. What I tend to think is, Lord, please, have mercy on these people and have mercy on me. Because if you don't have mercy on me, I don't have anything to give these people. And if you don't have mercy on them, they're never going to receive what I have to give them anyway. Mercy, Lord. We don't deserve any of this. Have you ever been serving for the church? Have you ever kind of been in kids' ministry or trying to prepare for, prep for music ministry or ushering? And, and you kind of think to yourself, man, these people I'm trying to serve are driving me nuts. <laughs> I try to lead them to their seat, and they refuse, and they want to set up more chairs. They bring their kids to us screaming. We want them to sing, and they're practically falling asleep sometimes. And it can be frustrating to serve because we think these people don't deserve it. They don't, and you don't deserve to be their servant. Service is a mercy. Service is us demonstrating God's love to undeserving sinners. That's what service is. What does the Bible say? 1 Corinthians, right? The great chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, the great chapter on love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The last time I gave their coffee to him, they said it was too full. Halfway for you, buddy. <laughs> no, don't keep record of wrongs. Don't do that. But also look at verse 9. It's even more practical. Verse 9. He says, in the context of it's the end of all days, so be sober and self-controlled, in the context of loving people, uh, even when they don't deserve it, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love how honest the scripture is. He had to put in there the command without grumbling because he knows our tendency to grumble. Now, the word hospitality, listen. Hospitality literally means the love of strangers. So, so hosp don't, when you think hospitality, don't think, I'm having my best mates around for barbecues. That's nice. It's a good thing to do. Do it. But it's not what the Bible's considering by hospitality. 
actually in the context, in the historical context, especially to who Peter's writing, to believers who are scattered and believers who are under a lot of persecution, it's very difficult for them to follow Jesus. For them, if they have to travel, for them to stay at an inn, they might not be very nice. For them to travel could be very dangerous. They need safe places to stay while they're having to travel. So the exhortation here is like, literally, open your home to people you do not know. That's literally the command. The application for us is going to be that, I think. It is going to be that, open your home to people you don't know. I think it is going to come to that. But there's another even simpler application that simply just says, listen, okay, if I'm going to serve, I need to serve for relationship, which means I'm going to open my life to people I don't know yet and don't know me. That's scary, isn't it? Now, some of you extroverted types are going, no, that's not scary. It's great. Let's do it. Can't wait to have people over. Others, you introverted types, are going, oh, please, God, no. Take this cross from me. <laughs> but it's important for us to recognize the importance of hospitality, and it's also important for us to recognize, listen, this idea of service that moves towards people, this is not about impressing people. Come to our home. Taste my gourmet food. Oh, that cheese I got from a specialty store. <laughs> Nobody cares. Hospitality is not about, okay, we, we, we hired a cleaner because we haven't actually vacuumed in six months, and we got to get everything just right so before we have... No. Let people into your home and smell the stinky diapers that you forgot to throw away that morning. Let people into your home and see that you don't have a single cup that matches another, and it's not on purpose. <laughs> You're not trying to be shabby chic. He just can't... That's just all you got. Let people come to your house and know, listen, there's, you, you are four weeks behind in your laundry. It doesn't matter. What matters is you move towards them. You serve them by moving towards them and saying, I want you in my life. I want, you in, I, I want to be in your life. I want to serve you to do what is best for you. I want this to be about relationship. In fact, sometimes we serve to hide from relationship. I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. Now, as a lead pastor, I, I have to do things in confidence with people. I have to take phone calls in confidence. I have to do counseling in, in, a, in a place that can remain confidential. So I do need a place that's just, it's private to do that. And I have a very, very nice office. If you've been to Hillcrest, you've seen my office. I have a very nice office, very posh. But you know, I've been thinking about that a lot. And we're thinking about uh, as, as useful it is to have a private place. I wonder how often I use that nice office to hide from people. Well, there's plenty to do. Ministry is one of these things where you're never done. There's always another thing to study, another, another phone call to make. There's always another uh, event to plan. Um, there's always more people to pray for. I mean, you're never, you could easily spend all your time alone in your office serving but are you ignoring people? This is where I've had to wrestle this week. Lord, I can use service to hide from people, but the service that Jesus calls us to, the service the scripture calls us to as Jesus followers is to serve moving toward people. I was feeling so guilty yesterday 
because we had all these great volunteers there painting and doing gardening and hanging up flower boxes and all this great stuff. It's, it was so productive. It was a great day. But to be honest, I had so much still prep to do on my study and some other work I had to get done. I actually couldn't be out there. And I'd go out there and I'd go, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Go back to my office, drink my coffee, do my study. And I was torn with this. I'm teaching on serving one another, but I'm not out there serving them. And I apologize to Teresa, and she says to me, it was lovely, it was really encouraging. She says to me, you are serving us. We need you to get that sermon ready. Amen. See, when we were talking about this, it, it, we're not doing this for reputation. I, I had to confess after she said that. I went inside thinking, yeah, but I want people to think, John's great, he's down to earth, he's practical, he's willing to get his hands dirty with us. What a regular guy John is. <laughs> That's service for reputation. It's when we, we, we are looking to benefit others as a way to exalt ourselves. But the service that we're called to is a service for relationship. I want you to know the God that loves us better, and I want you to know that as I serve you through love. Interesting, hospitality is actually a requirement for leadership. You can look it up, 1 Timothy 3.2. If someone's going to be an elder, an overseer, they have to be one who's given to hospitality. People need to be able to stay in their homes, come into their homes, their doors wide open. Because our dog is a monster and barks like crazy, we tell people, don't knock, just come in. It's really, it's kind of fun too because British people just don't like to do that. So it's fun to watch, I have to say. <laughs> so freaking out about opening the door so they walk in. But it's better because otherwise beastie or dog goes nuts. But the point is, our door needs to be open. It needs to, we need to be people, as leaders, as a leader, I am required to have my door open. You are welcome at my house six days a week. Is that okay? No, seven days a week. If you actually need me to serve you, you are welcome in my house. I mean that. That is a requirement of mine. But guess what? It's a calling for every single Jesus follower. Why don't you want people in your home? We serve for relationship, not reputation. We want people to know us. We want people to know Jesus even more. The third bit in this last part of 1 Peter 4, we're serving for God's glory, not our giftedness. This is a bit of a rub here. Verse 10, he says, listen, as each of you have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So the idea of us using our gifts is us being stewards of God's grace. A steward, listen, a steward is somebody who is responsible for something that doesn't belong to them. So your gifts, listen, whatever gifts God's given you, and you'll have at least some, at least one, whatever gifts God's given you, he's given to you as a stewardship. They're not for you. They're not for your glory. They're not to make yourself better or more comfortable. They're a stewardship from God to show his grace, to demonstrate his grace. That's where they're there. This word for gift, it's a, it's, we, we, it's a, a obviously a Greek word, but it's where we get the English word charisma. And it literally means, the word for, for gift here, 
literally means uh, that which has been given by God. That's what's been kind of an undeserved uh, uh, ability from God, you might say. That's what a gift is. Now, the idea here is that, that God gives us these gifts of grace, these freely given abilities by God. He gives these to us that we might demonstrate his grace. We don't deserve the gift. We don't deserve God's love. But we want to use the gift to demonstrate his love, his grace, his undeserved favor to one another. In fact, listen, our service to one another is what actually makes the gospel of grace attractive. Oh, man, that's a bit heavy. I, I mean, really? Could it be that us, me serving coffee to somebody or sweeping up afterwards or picking up their chairs or taking care of their children or showing them to their seat or handing them a bulletin, that, that actually can make God's doctrine, God's the truth of God's grace, attractive? Listen, here's what it says. Titus chapter 2. Servants, this is actually talking about bond servants or those who would uh, sort of just, you might apply this to, to work, but it applies to us just serving each other as well. Servants must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. In other words, keep your commitments. Then they will make, listen, then they will make the teaching about God or Savior attractive in every way. If you're here and you're not yet a Jesus follower, we're so glad you're here. I know some of you guys are kind of just still seeking this stuff out. We hope that one of the things that makes you attracted to Jesus is how his people serve one another. It's how we do so without grumbling. It's how we welcome each other into each other's homes, into each other's lives. Because that's what we're called to do. Where we fall short in that, I want to just say to you who aren't yet believers, forgive us. We're still in process, too. This is the glory of being saved by God's grace. We can still know we're sons and daughters, even though we still fall short. But that's really what we're meant to be. As, as a, one writer once said, the gospel is good news. Because it's news, it must be explained. Because it's good, it must be demonstrated. And we demonstrate the good news by serving one another. Now, I think also this idea of stewards reminds us that we're not responsible to meet every need. God hasn't given anybody every single gift. He hasn't. He hasn't. Sometimes I feel like I need to have every single gift. I put that pressure on myself. I got to be the best administrator. I got to be the best teacher. I got to be the best leader. I got to be the best everything. I put that pressure on myself, but that's me, that's my flesh. The truth is, a stewardship is, God says, listen, I'm giving you your gifts to meet the needs of other people, and I'm calling you to do that, and no more than that. This is why I can be at peace about going into my office, saying, God, forgive me for wanting to up my reputation, and thank you, Lord, that this is what you steward, you want me to steward, just this ability to study and teach. This is what my, my main thing I need to do today. That's what I need to do. In fact, I want to say something else, too, and we're going to talk more about this in a couple weeks, but... It's service, listen, that identifies your gifting, not the other way around. There's been a trend, it was maybe more popular in the early 90s. There was a trend where, like the personality test you might take for work, they had these spiritual gift tests. Anybody ever taken one of those spiritual gift tests? Yeah, okay. 
And these spiritual gifts that are unified gift. And everyone's like, oh, interesting. I'm this. Oh, I didn't think I, I wonder if I was this. And, and we're all so interested about who am I? How can I express me? But God hasn't given you a gift to express you. He's given you a gift to express him. And you don't even need to know what your gifts are. Have you noticed so far how all these one other commands have a corresponding gift of the Spirit? As we talked about, remember when we talked about teaching one another? And we talked about speaking truth and everything. You guys remember that message? If you, have it, if you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it. And we talked about how the fact that there are people who are specifically gifted to teach, but we're all called to teach each other. Oh, I don't know if I'm gifted to teach or not. Well, just learn what you can and share what you know. Someone will be blessed. Maybe you have a gift of teaching, maybe you don't. Does it really matter if someone's actually instructed and moved further in their, their gospel, whether or not you, in the gospel, whether or not you have that gift? The point is, listen, to be stewards of God's grace is to say, God, it's your grace that we want to be manifested. We want people to see in how we serve each other, we want people to see that our gospel is a gospel of grace, that your gospel is a gospel of grace, that you save people who don't deserve it. Why? Because you're just a God of love who wants to save them and change them into loving people. You can do this, and you want this to be seen. This is why we want to serve. In closing, verse 11, Peter writes very practically, there's two categories, notice, but one goal. Verse 11, whoever speaks, he says, as one who speaks oracles of God, that's one category. You might call these word gifts. So, so if you find yourself encouraging people verbally, writing letters, writing emails, little posts on social media that are encouraging, not like I hate your politics, encouraging social media stuff, okay? If you're that kind of person who, who tends to want to verbally encourage people or instruct people or who, who people ask advice from, you seem to have the ability to kind of share wisdom, then you probably have a word gift. And the exhortation to you with word gifts, listen, is to seek to communicate what God says. Nobody really needs our opinions. This is why I try to be careful when I say, this is what the scripture says, and this is what I think it says. Because one's my opinion, I might be wrong, other people will disagree with me, but one is, it's pretty clear, scripture, what God says. There's a difference. But we need to make sure that we're saying, God, I want to not just share my ideas, I want to share your truth. Because your truth sets people free. He also says, verse 11, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. You might call these action gifts, practical gifts. If you find yourself thinking practically about things, thinking about details about things, this is, a, this is one of the reasons I asked uh, Stephen and Teresa to be deacon candidates. Stephen is incredibly detail-oriented, sometimes to my annoyance. <laughs> He's always, John! What about this? I didn't think about that, Stephen. You gotta think about this. <laughs> You're right, I do. Why don't you become a deacon candidate? You can do that thinking for me. <laughs> because there's a need for people who think about the details to make sure things get done, to make sure people get served. Listen, when we do that, we need to do so by the strength God supplies. Because the more practical a person is, the more of a tendency I see that they have to try to do more than they can do. God, what are you giving me strength to do? Two categories. Word gifts, action gifts. You have at least one from one category. 
you probably have more than one. And all the one another commands can, listen, they conform to both categories of gifts. So just do what God commands. And for what reason? Here's the goal. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified. You know what it means to be glorified? We kind of have a sense, don't we? The person who wins the big sporting event stands on the podium. He's basking in his glory. He's done the best he can do. The idea of glory in the scriptures is, uh, when it speaks in a general sense about glory, it talks about unique value. Like it says, the glory of a young man is his strength. The glory of an old man is his gray hair or his wisdom. Or in my case, no hair. Glory is the unique value of somebody, right? So when the Bible talks about the glory of God, it just means about God being exalted, but it means God being exalted for who he is, his unique goodness. He doesn't just do good, he defines good. He doesn't just show love, he is love. He doesn't just do justice, he is justice. So to glorify God is to exalt him for who he is. The, 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 all the service that we do towards one another is to be able to show people who he is. Do we have a God that cares about our, our little practical needs? Yes. You word give people are going, yeah, I need to tell somebody that. You actually give people are going, yeah, I need to show somebody that. But together, when we do that towards one another, God is glorified. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, he said, in the same way, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. People don't need to see how great Servants Church is. People need to see how great the servant is. They need to see Jesus. They don't need to see how well and organized we are. They don't need to see how good our coffee is. They don't need to see how great our, our, our band sounds or how long the sermons are. What they need to see is Jesus. And they see Jesus the servant as we serve one another. So let's get intensely practical. You guys ready? Don't hate me for this. Ten things. Ten ways you can intentionally serve one another at Servants Church. I mean every one of these. First, prioritize every Sunday attendance. There's good reasons to miss Sunday morning. And the same reason there's good reasons to miss work. Family emergency, sickness, holiday. Man, take holiday. Americans, I had to learn, I had to move to England before I learned what holiday was about. But prioritize Sunday service. Listen, if you're still trying to decide what, where God would have you be in a church, I know some of you, a lot of you guys are visiting today, but this should still apply to the church that you normally go to, okay? But wherever... God calls you, whatever church family God calls you to commit to, commit to. Be there. It can't serve people. You're not around. Now, I know sometimes you can't work situations, family situations. There's no condemnation in this. But it should be our priority, shouldn't it? Number two, sit in the front rows. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being very serious. Do you know how hard it is for visitors when the chairs are all full to have to come up and sit here? Or moms with small children that have to come up and sit here. Do you know how hard it is for them? It's really, seriously, I, I, know, I don't know why we do this. I, I asked somebody once, why do we do this? And someone said, I think it's because the front rows are seats of honor. No, they're not. They're closer to me spitting. 
It's really loud in front of the speakers. It's not necessarily the best place to be, but it's the better place to choose to serve other people. Sit in the front row. Make it easier for the ushers. Make it easier for guests. Make it easier for, for parents of small children. Sit in the front row. People come in late. People come in late, yep. Number three, sing your heart out. We talked about speaking truth to one another it involves us singing. Sing your heart out. I don't really feel like my heart would be just like negative. Then sing in faith. God, change my heart as I sing. You know why? It blesses the team. It blesses the people around you. It's a witness. Sing your heart out. Serve others. Don't think about what you're getting out of the singing. What are others getting out of you giving praise to God? Four, have a conversation with the person next to you in the coffee queue. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal, but I, and, and, and to be honest, a lot of these things you guys are really good at, just to be fair, okay? But it is funny sometimes when I'll see people who've been on servants for years standing in a queue like this, not talking to anybody. Really? I mean, I get it. Sometimes we're in a bad place. I get it. Sometimes we're just feeling anxious. I get all that stuff. I really, really do, but serve one another. Think about what that person might need. Maybe you start a conversation and they're not interested. Oh, well, you, you took a step. Turn around and talk to the person behind you. Number five, have people over for lunch after service. <gasps> I know that's scary. In all seriousness, I know this is a kind of a scary thing post-COVID. I know, I, I do get it. A lot of us are struggling with this kind of stuff. This is why I'm talking about it. It is scary. But you think, well, I've got a plan. I've got to make sure I shop. Do you have beans to on, on toast? I, I, I think... I think most people can eat, I mean, if they can't eat the toast because they're, they're gluten-free, just beans. <laughs> Whatever. Nobody cares. Have some extra stuff on hand just in case. Number six, commit to a ministry team. It says max two because we, we try, well, we kind of say, look, you can only serve on two teams because after that we think it's just too much. Now, I want to say something here, too, and it's going to make me sound really old, but it's okay. I, I think it's important that, that, that maybe, especially younger people recognize, and you, uh, to be honest, the, the younger people sometimes outserve the, the older people, so this is not a slight. But I have to say, most of us older people who have been in church for, for decades remember when church every Sunday was normal for a Christian and serving every Sunday was normal for a Christian. We've now reduced it down to be on a, one team one time a month, and we still can't get people to follow through with it. That's not a, cha a chastisement, it really isn't. It's just, I think we need to be honest that that's, that's less than what we could do. And it, you know why people feel tempted to do more than two ministry teams? I want to not, or more than one, they've got to do two, maybe want to do three. Or they'll say, I'm not on a team, I'm just help, here to, to help. You know why they feel that pressure? Because there are a lot of people who don't do anything. That's not serving one another. Commit to a midweek, number seven, commit to a midweek small group. You're going to serve best the people you know best. You're going to be able to receive service from people that you know best. I'm not saying it has to be one of the five groups. You, you, you might be in a small group that's not even, that's kind of a, 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 a parachurch group. Be committed. Be known. No. Number eight, commit to generous giving. Oh, man. <laughs> to be honest, uh, we're doing better this year than we've done uh, probably any year before financially. But also, to be honest, that's because of a very small group of people who are generous. 
are we in this together? Are we going to serve one another? I'm not saying, I'm not giving you any amounts. I'm not giving you any percentage. I'm just saying, go to God and say, God, how can I serve my church family in my giving? Some of you guys have next to nothing and you give generously. Thank you. Your words in heaven, I mean that. Number nine, thank others for their service. Not me. I get, I get plenty of thank yous. To be honest, I get way more thank yous than I get criticisms. I don't need it. I'm not that really that kind of a person anyway. But you know what? The, 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 the Sunday school teacher or helper who put up with your kids screaming for an hour and 90 minutes, or at least for 90 minutes, say, thank you so much. And tell them, thank you for preparing to teach the scriptures to my children. Thank you for, for, for wanting to give Jesus to them. Thank Rory and, and, and Lydia and Brooke and who else is this, who's a, a helper for youth? I can't remember. I'm feel, I feel bad about that now. Uh, yeah, thank them for what they do. For the youth. Thank the ushers for being thoughtful enough to bring you a Bible to your chair. I mean, come on, man. There you go. How easy are we making it for you? Again, none of this is about condemnation. It's about for us to kind of expose the fact that we all go, yeah, serving one another, it's important. But these are practical ways that we could do it every Sunday. Number 10. And I put this on here because out of conviction, I don't really do this. I pray as people ask me to pray. I pray as needs come up. But I've been convicted about this for a long time because when I was a youth worker in the States, I used to pray for every kid in my youth group by name. I had three-by-five cards that I kept in my car. I had a stoplight. I pulled one out. Yeah, I'm going to pray for Billy Bob because he's a terror <laughs> or whatever. Man, I wonder what would happen. I wonder how we would grow in love and service. I wonder what the Holy Spirit would do if we just said, Lord, every day we're going to pray for a different name or family group in the directory. Just add that to our prayers. If you don't get the church directory, it's probably because you don't get the church email. Make sure you get signed up for that so you can get the email and get the directory. Ten ways to intentionally serve one another at Servant Church. Are any of those things, do any of those things feel extreme? Nope. Now, these are not to condemn any of us, but to make us to think, listen, I think, I really do think, a lot of this already happens. A lot of you guys are already serving. I am so thankful for Servants Church. I'm so thankful for a reputation in the city. It, that, that reputation is, is God's work uh, through you. I'm really thankful. But if we're serious about demonstrating the grace of God, let's make a commitment to some of these things. And let's do so not because we're slaves, but because we're free. Because we're sons and daughters of our Father in Heaven through Jesus' work. Amen? Father, thank you so much that we can learn to serve one another. Thank you, Lord, for those who, who are so uh, committed to serving their families, Lord. They have such difficult circumstances in their families, Lord, that they are, are doing that. And even those are the people that tend to go, man, I wish I could serve more at church, but I just can't right now. Thank you that they have that heart and they're serving your people by serving their children. Thank you, Lord, for those who are single, who, who Lord, who would wish maybe they weren't, but yet use some of that time to serve other singles and other married people. 
Thank you, Lord, for those that could live so much more lavish lifestyles but want to serve your people by giving generously. Lord, thank you for those who come so often on Sunday ready to worship and to receive and to serve. Thank you, Lord. All this is for your glory. All this is your, the work of your spirit in the lives of your people. God, increase us. Make us more fruitful. We want to abide in you. We want your word to abide in us. We want to pray in this direction. We want to bear much fruit because you said, Jesus, the Father's glorified in that. And that we find his joy in that. Do this, we pray. As we ask it in Jesus' name, everyone who agrees says, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for enduring a long.